0: Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavner here on TRSI. I'm here today with my friend and colleague, Michael Dwyer. Today is Friday, the 17th of the night. Michael, how have you been?
1: I've been okay, Gary. How are you?
0: I've been good. I had the great joy of putting up a show on our own, which is obviously the highlight of my uh, of my week. Just rambling to the void, looking at a wave function move up and down.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's lovely. I was uh, attending, if, if you're interested, vaguely, a family funeral in the... City of Oxford, and you know, it is a beautiful city, but actually even worse served for hotels than Dublin. So if anybody's going to Oxford, I would recommend get your hotel now because it's going to, not cheap, but it's worth a visit. I mean, it's just just gorgeous, gorgeous place. And good Chinese.
0: One wouldn't want to be inconvenienced at a funeral. Or have one's tourism options limited.
1: Indeed. But very often you need the cooperation of your relatives for that kind of thing.
0: Well, I mean, one of them needs to die.
1: It's not that just that they need to die. They need to die at a, an appropriate time.
0: So you're just waiting for one of them to kick it and then in the will have written that they want the funeral somewhere in the Riviera?
1: <laughs> now that would be a decent that would idea, a decent, decent send-off.
0: It's <laughs> a decent thing for someone to do.
1: As long as they include it in the will, <laughs> business class flight tickets for everybody
0: well one can only hope michael that when your next relative dives they have a they have properly considered how it will impact on you
1: well i don't know i mean i lost my 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 aunt who was my brother's my brother. a very a lovely lady i was very fond of her the thing is gary that uh, as these things go up we are now it's pretty well my generation is now sort of gone to the head of the queue so i, I i'm pretty much against the whole idea of the next funeral. I think at this stage we just draw a line under that and say, okay, enough with the funerals, no more funerals. Let's just move on to scientists discover secret to eternal life.
0: Now I have a feeling that death is going to continue to be very moorish.
1: Yeah, maybe in poorer places, but I don't see why in the developed world we have to be putting up with death anymore. Or indeed disease, I mean, come on, and they put a man on the moon, they can't can't give me eternal blissful life, you know. And also a a pill that will make me lose six stone without having to do anything at all. I honestly got, there are times, Gary, I think that all the scientists are doing is indulging themselves going off making vaccines or Sudoku puzzles or something.
0: So a little bit of housekeeping before we actually start. Uh, The first piece is that we are going to be away next week. We are going to a conference for one of the European political parties, and that will mean we will be gone. All of next week. This is somewhat unexpected, as in it was booked months ago and then we forgot about it.
1: It's also possible that we might, in the grip of a glass of port, end up standing over a computer and a microphone. And you never know if we might somebody interesting to talk to, Gary, that wants to talk to us. Who knows what we might do?
0: And the second point is uh, about a statement I made in the last podcast about nurses, where I was talking about the average wage of nurses. And there's two things about that. One was a contextual point that I didn't mention because we were talking about hospitals, so I had just assumed it was clear. When I gave the figure of the um, earnings of the average earnings of nurses, that is full-time hospital nurses, not nurses in general. And the second one was a mistake because I listened to an academic, Michael. I knew the figures and I saw (laughs) an academic say something slightly different and I was like, well, I mean, they're an economist. They probably know. And yet again, trusting an academic screwed me.
1: Yeah, uh, Gary, when will you learn? Yeah,
0: so I said, I, I gave the figures in euro, and they were actually in dollars. And I knew they were in dollars, because I'd read the research. But I assumed Sean Barrett just knew better than me.
1: It's your sweet, trusting, innocent nature, Gary. Always, it'll, I said to you before, it'll get you to trouble. It'll keep getting you into trouble. I,
0: I should know this from working with academics. You don't listen to what they say, you just tell them what you want.
1: And <laughs> ask them for a bad invoice.
0: So... That aside, a couple of things to go through on this podcast. The first one, and it's not actually political news at all, it's just a, a sad piece of news that I had meant to talk about in the last podcast, but decided to leave until Michael came back. And that is that the comedian Norm MacDonald has died.
1: I, I was saying to you, to Gary earlier, or to offer, I'm not, like I'm sure most adult people, you know, when a celebrity or a famous person or an entertaining person dies, you know, I, I find it kind of weird that people seem to take it very personally. But there have been. And this is number three. That when someone you hear someone is dead, uh, it just really kind of hits. I was very annoyed at David Boy, because I'm a huge Boy fan. Victoria Wood, uh, I thought it was very sad because I thought she's enormously talented and I'd loved her for a very long time. And Norm Macdonald, and I'd say Norm is up there with, you know, each generation has this, like it's Cros, you know, Cosby, Pryor, Williams, Carlin. Whoever and for this generation, the last 20, 30 years, Norm Williams, def- Norm have- Norm Macdonald has to be definitely up there, and he was very he was a comics comic wasn't he? I mean that's one of the things, and this was before he died. The number of times you would hear comedians talk about other comedians and more Macdonald would be at the head of the list. I don't think that he was an, a comic for everybody because as I think it's been. Might have been Bill Maher, or it might have been one of the night show hosts said. One of the things that I think it was Bill Maher said he was a comedian who wasn't afraid of being subtle. He didn't even really care if the audience got the joke, as long as he was happy that it was a good joke. He enjoyed it, and he he was one of the very very few comedians he said that didn't care if he bombed, as long as he was happy that the material was good. And other people might come along afterwards and look at them and think, God, that was hilarious, just that particular audience. And if that did audience didn't like it, Norm didn't really care. And he wasn't a true eccentric. I mean, Gary, how many, are, how many people in business showbiz are not in, in our lives? You, you meet them and you think, this is a whole confection. This is, oh, I'm an eccentric. This is, but this is a the character they're playing. Everybody seems to be agreed that Norm Macdonald, this was who Norm genuinely was. He just was this slightly alternative way of seeing the word is it what's the name of the american he was one of the new heart new heart the new the new atheists harris is it sam harris sam harris said and i thought this was a really interesting point you saw we're aware that there are different kinds of sort of neuropathologies you know in the world so say autism is not nowadays more considered to be say a disease or a condition but rather it's just an alternative a an alternative neural ar- arrangement that engages in the world in a different way to most people and he said and there are the kinds of human diversity that we're completely unaware of and that maybe that's maybe that someone like Norman MacDonald just had a slightly different brain organization so that he saw things in a slightly different way, but also he, he was Cape he said some shocking shocking things as well and the, the capacity he had to make people uncomfortable. Some other stuff was fantastic.
0: Yes, I mean there is that story of how he got kicked out of Idaho. Go on. So they got invited to this big thing in Idaho, and you know, they, they, it was a couple of the SNL guys. And they said that you know there, were, there was this big golf thing the next day, and the, the senator of the state or the governor of the state was there, and he was talking about how he was going to show him around and how happy he was to have him there, and it was a massive news story. There were thousands of people there. Uh, listening to him. And they were told, you know, this this was an all-ages show and they had to keep a PC and they had to, you know, avoid any uh, cursing. Yeah. And Norm Macdonald was the third act on. And uh, yeah, he didn't, he didn't keep a PC. He opened with a joke about how if you had to be a homosexual, why would you want to be the one who was taking it in the ass? And then he went on to bestiality. And by the recalling of the other comics who were there, people were just leaving in like groups of forty, and by the end of it, only about two hundred people had made it through its set.
1: And the thing about that is, Norman actually was a comedian who worked clean a hell of a lot of the time, and in fact, particularly latterly, was one of the things he wanted to do was clean. I didn't. He was very suspicious of comedians who used particularly language of a certain kind. To, to create the the buttress for this the, the show, but that but the problem there I think Gary is is telling Norm Macdonald to do anything, is a recipe for just my favorite joke, which goes back to this is something we've referenced many times, is which if anybody's out there has ever seen there's a show called uh, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, where Jerry Seinfeld of Seinfeld, basically goes around with comedians mostly some funny people but just stand up comedians usually. And they drive around in a car and they get some coffee. And in he does an episode with Norm MacDonald, which you can you can see on Netflix or possibly on YouTube. And it's very funny, but there's, he does a, a stuff which I know you you enjoy. I I think you, you were the first one you told me this first and I've seen it since they're talking about comic heroes and he said that one of his great heroes that from when he was a kid in the seventies was Bill Cosby. Cosby was he? People don't know that now, but huge stand-up star, and um, of course, Cosby has since been consumed by the most bizarre and horrible scandal uh, uh, of what he, he uh, of what he did, raping and drugging young women. It was just ghastly, ghastly stuff. And McDonald said to to Jerry in response to you know the 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 question, you know, how does it affect you though? He, seeing. Cosby he said he was talking to Pat Noswalt, and that he was also a comedian. He was in, uh, people might know him from King of Queens. He's He's in lots of things, but he said, Pat Noswald, said, You know, just oh, this stuff with Cosby is just awful. I mean, but you know, and Cosby, of course, was famous for giving these lectures, particularly to young black men about how they should behave and they should, you know, support their children and pull up their trousers and speak properly and all this he's so he's he he was this rather censorious figure you know giving these moral lectures he said you know what the worst of it is just a horrible hypocrisy and norm pauses Says, i i I don't think he's i don't think he's right it's like no no ah no uh the worst thing is the hypocrisy no what do you think is worse "Ah, i think the raping the raping and the drugging, you know, I think that's worse than the hypocrisy. One thing you got to say about rapists, most of them, I think, are hypocrites. There's very few rapists out there who say, you know what? I know it's not politically correct, but I love speaking. Secondhand like this, obviously, I'm not normal I can assure you, it is brilliant. And it just it's so him, but it's also so to the point, because it's this critique of the way we speak and the way we, it's just this how many times will you have heard someone say something like that? Oh, but you know what? Do you know the worst thing about it? That, oh, just the, the hypocrisy of the man. You're thinking, yeah, but really? Was that the worst thing? Maybe the killing or the raping or the, the, whatever it happens to be. Maybe actually, should we really expect a higher moral, truthful standard from people who rape or murder people? And that was, I think, encapsulated his, uh, his, his attitude. I would re- recommend that anybody that's interested should go on YouTube. There's masses of stuff on there. I would also say, look at a few bits because you kind of have to, I don't know if you, you agree with this, Gary. At the beginning, you kind of have to get into his voice because it, at the beginning, it's, it's, you, you kind of don't, sometimes you don't quite get the point of him, but it, and a couple of goes you, to get into his his rhythm and his voice. And after that, I just think he's just very, very funny.
0: Yeah, he has a very particular um cadence and a very particular type of delivery. And it's actually quite interesting to look at his jokes because a lot of them simply do not work without being delivered by him. Like they would be immensely difficult to get for anyone else to get actually any laughs from. I do remember I think it was the Bob Saget roast where he decided he didn't like roasts he didn't like the format that you could stand there and insult people because he thought it was unpleasant and also kind of cheap like he could do that if he wanted to but he didn't need to be told he could do it so instead he decided he was going to uh, take jokes from I think like a 1940s joke handbook
1: yeah 1950s had joke handbook and
0: just deliberately bomb Deliver them. ah, uh, And part of it is recorded, but I, I, I'm told there's actually a much longer part of about 20 minutes where no one knows what's happening. And when you look at the roast before he goes up, everyone is insulting everyone. It's all very loud. And he's sitting in the back reading a sports paper.
1: It's true. There are some of his jokes that just on the face of it are just simply bad jokes. Old, bad joke. And yet he also is the originator. No, it's hard to know these things. They may even have multiple injuries. but a, a joke that I've heard told by so many comedians in different places even in different languages you know the joke about the the homeless guy with the dog and you know for the dog what's what's the dog getting out of it? like for him it's just the longest walk in the world that, that it seems to be to the extent that you can read you can you can go back to source on this that actually that joke which just gone around the world it seems to have been a Norm Macdonald joke and very good. cheese A lot of the jokes are just simply bad jokes. And you think nobody else would be able to do it. He was a curious man, I and mean, he was actually, in some ways, quite. A, he could be quite serious. He was. I wouldn't say you could say he was religious.
0: Apparently, he was. He was just very quiet about it.
1: Very quiet. He was a Christian. He believed in God. At least uh, he, as he said, he very hope he hoped strongly that there was, uh, and he was capable of. A very low key, but absolutely razor sharp critique of a certain kind of, you know, progressive post-Christian secular snobbery that, you know, towards people of faith or, to, or religion, which was absolutely devastating. And the best thing about it was sometimes he would be saying it to people and they didn't quite realize they were being filleted.
0: One of my favorite things he ever said was a tweet he put up. And it was purely for the reaction it caused. He put up a tweet that said, um, The Enlightenment has turned us away from truth and towards a darkling, weakling horizon. Sad and grey to see. The afterglow of Christianity is near gone now. And a Stygian silence lurks in wait. (laughs) Which is mostly just responded by confused people going, Is this,
1: is that a bit? (laughs) Is this, are you doing a bit now? Is Is this funny? Should I laugh now? Or should I, what?
0: <laughs> Did you ever hear um him talking about his favourite stand up joke? Wait, go on. So he's a massive fan of David Letterman. And he brought it up when he when Letterman was retiring, Norm MacDonald was the last comedian brought on. Because mm-hmm. Letterman and Norm MacDonald got on really well. And uh he talked about it before as well, how this was one of his, his favourite jokes, his favourite joke from stand up. He said he saw it when he was thirteen or somewhere around that age, he was young and he saw Letterman doing a stand up. I don't think even most people at this point, remember, Letterman did stand up.
1: And apparently he hated it. He was brilliantly good at it, but was deeply uncomfortable with the, the, with the business of show business.
0: But the, you know, the, the joke, which is, is Letterman's joke, was uh, how he had been in town the other day and he had seen a, a garbage truck. And written on the the bottom of the garbage, garbage truck was a plaque which said, please do not follow this garbage truck. And Letterman said that, that another of life's simple pleasures... Ruined by government bureaucracy.
1: Hey, <laughs> anyway, Norm Macdonald rescue Patcham. As much as I would enjoy
0: talking about Norm Macdonald's jokes, uh, and they are well worth looking at. We don't have a lot of time today, so I think we will we'll rapidly move on. Um, we've talked a lot, Michael, about how Micheál Martin will lead to the collapse of Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin, becoming the largest party in government. Up to this point, we thought that would require an election. But in a um, just in a sign of how innovative Martin actually is, he's allowed Sinn Féin to become the largest party in Parliament without an election by having one of his own members resign.
1: He has indeed. It's a devilishly clever way of doing it.
0: I mean, I've got to admit, Michael, I just didn't think you could get here this quickly. And again, without an election, that's usually a very important part of these things. But he's just managed to totally cut it out.
1: He had a plan. He had, in Baldrick's word, a cunning plan. He said, OK, I'm going to take an incident where a minister in the government from Finnegales, the ancient enemy, is going to have cocked up something so badly and then cocked up the follow-up to it again and again. That no reasonable person could possibly look at an emotional confidence and say, this is just the usual political nonsense, although it is just the usual political nonsense. But he's also perfectly reasonable Just for the whole of the doll to go around. Do you know what, Simon? I was very fond of your father, but I'm sorry. It's, it's time to say goodbye. And he then, on the penalty of expulsion or suspension from the Parliamentary for six months, he told his feeling of faulty deeds. they must support... The fatally wounded and obviously incompetent Fine Gael minister in a, in, a, in a vote of no confidence tabled by Sinn Fein. Now, I noticed. Have you noticed the way the word re- Fianna Fáil rebels" or "rebellious Fianna Fáil TDs" is now being put in inverted commas? And I think for very good reason.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you can, if you can screw up like Martin has screwed up, and you have a situation like this, where I mean, the review just came out and said that one of the major things they did to damage themselves was in the own Harris uh, confidence vote, vote with Harris. And then they just did it immediately again.
1: And also, big issue was their incapacity to differentiate themselves positively from Finnegale and establish their own unique identity on any issue. So naturally, that's what we do, it's support Simon Covrin. It was a
0: day after the release of that report, which said those things. That they announced that uh, any Finnofall TD who voted against it would be suspended for six months, and you did just have to have a little bit of a man is not a learning animal, no. And yes, you could say, well, the program for government required it, but there's yeah, you know, there's being required to support the government,
1: and there is this. The program for government also required Simon Coveney not to make an absolute horlicks of this situation, and. Inform the, the cabinet and tell the Taoiseach and not go in front of the doll Committee twice and tell a story that, frankly, children who haven't yet made their first royal communion wouldn't believe.
0: Oh, did you see Did you see Coveney coming out and saying that uh, part of the problem, part of the reason the story grew so far is that he was too defensive in his early interviews?
1: No, oh, you see, it was all a, it's all a question of managing the thing, Gary. We, yes, that's true, absolutely.
0: The problem there is is—is that if anyone were to go back and look at his early interviews... Certain things said in those interviews no longer seem to align with reality.
1: Or at least don't seem to align with things that are being said in interviews now.
0: Yeah, so it's just a little bit of, I should have been more aggressive. There would be a sort of a, um, maybe you should have just said different things entirely.
1: Anyway, the the, the upshot of the whole thing was that Fianna Fáil rebels turned out very much to be in the Sherlock Holmes tradition of the dog that didn't bark in the night. They're all very rebellious when they're in the back room, and possibly. But they're not rebellious when the sense. bar. One notable expression: a man who has out of I don't know, Gary, people who know the man well, maybe say, "No, no, it's absolutely British." He has been a TD who has continually surprised me, and I'm not just and I'm, I'm, genu- I'm not being sarcastic, and I'm not being undermining. But I, on a number of issues, this uh, Mark McSherry has sh- has shown himself to be a man who actually thinks about appears at least to think about something and then change his mind if he somebody else can come along and convince him of the, the there's a better argument and then come out and he he, he takes action uh, now mark McSherry has been a critique a critic of Martin there's no doubt about that I don't know if there's personal animus there but he did say that a field fall under Michael Martin is an undemocratic totalitarian regime it's quite harsh
0: it was quite harsh but I think the general point I'd make about the Makshari thing is, it is obviously ludicrous to tie yourself to this affair in any way. This is an entirely Finnegal fuck up, and any Finnegal leader worth his salt would have made use of it in some way. And Martin has instead tied himself to something which has the potential to be damaging to his own TDs. And if the only person in Finnegal willing to actually point out that this is a ridiculous state of affairs, ...in any way that will make an impact... ...is Mark McSherry. The party is fucked. Like it's not Micheál Martin fucking the party. It is the party is fucked.
1: But well, this is the thing for, we've been saying for some time... ...that you can go into a bit of a slump... ...and you can have a bit of a crisis... ...and the leader might be dri- driving that. But after a certain period of time... ...when it becomes obvious that the strategy... ...and the tactics that have been chosen by the leader... Are going in one direction only, and there is absolutely no indication that the leader is capable of hearing criticism or amending his course. It stops being the leader's fault and starts to be the party's fault. And I would say that that has been true of the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party for some time now.
0: Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I was surprised to see McSherry actually take the step. Never thought it'd be McSherry who'd do this.
1: But you know what else it's in? I mean, Mark McSherry will now stand. I imagine maybe he'll go off and do something else. But if he stays in politics, he will stand as an independent. Maybe he'll cut himself independent Fianna of in the tradition of Neil Blaney above. I don't know, but I would say that there is a very decent chance that Mark McSherry will be re-elected in the next all and he will join the the ever swelling ranks of independent TDs in uh, in the all particularly. I mean, in in the west. Uh, I say I say that in the, particularly in the West. I mean, like my own constituency has returned an independent. I think do you know when it strikes me now, in pretty every one, two, three, in four out of the last five general elections, Wexford has returned an independent TD, and you couldn't imagine a more disparate group. One was a G, was a GP who ended up being a Finnegan minister for health. Then we had two goes of two-goes or three-goes of uh, long-haired Mick Wallace from the far left to be reported. Mick Wallace, get this. This is Irish politics, Gary. Mick Wallace as the Independent and was replaced by Verona Murphy. And can you imagine? <laughs> where's the philosophical ideological connection there with v- Verona Murphy and Mick Wallace? I don't know.
0: I don't know what Verona Murphy's views are on Hezbollah. Uh,
1: no. my My guess, if I had to put £5 down would be that she would be negatively disposed towards Hezbollah. That's my guess. Yeah and Hamas as well. Yeah, yeah, I I I I'm willing I'd be, I'd go out in that branch on that one. So it he's just going to be yet another Fianna Fáil gene pool TD. And this is the party which talks about the fact that it needs to be get away from being it's this maybe that's the strategy. You know they say they have to stop being a rural party. Maybe their, their plan is to stop being a roller party by just having no more TDs outside of the cities of Ireland. Innovative, yes. It's a strategy. It's a, a different way of doing it.
0: I mean, we'll see where this goes. It is interesting that McSharry preemptively resigned rather than voted against it and let Martin take the whip. it be interesting to see if McSharry intends to go back into Fianna Fáil or what he intends to do. I don't think electorally. Like, the Fianna Fáil grassroots are in such a state... And they're so despondent that he can probably take them with him.
1: I would say so. I remember, he's also... I mean, he's hes not just uh, Mark McSherry. He's Mark McSherry s- slash Ray McSherry, who was a towering figure in that part of the world and in Irish politics generally. Uh, I don't... We will see, but I, I, I would i would take him to be short odds to be re-elected.
0: Yeah, and I mean... If you're with a party that could be as low as, you know, 11%, uh, probably not a bad idea to consider how you break away from that party. And this isn't a bad opp- opportunity to do so.
1: I think it's a very good one. I mean, if you're going to choose your, your battles, he, He's also established himself. that This isn't just a sudden, oh, God, let's break for the hills because things are going. So machari has been a consistent critic of the, the leadership. He's been consistent on this issue, and now he's just in a sense it would have been what well, God hypocrisy in a sense to vote for Coveney, But there you go. I
0: know, I just, I'm I'm so used to this happening in Finnafile. There's always that little bit of surprise when someone goes, "Actually, I'm just done." It's like, oh, you actually meant some of that then. Oh, and it wasn't just a general leadership belly aching or I want to be in control.
1: Once upon a once upon a time, very a very long time ago, Patty Hillary made himself. Immortally famous amongst political nerds in Ireland from stating from the podium in the Ardesh when the great, uh, the Arab crisis and all that not, was going on, and the great, and he shouted, You can have Boland, but you can't have Fianna Fáil. The thing is, Gary, Fianna Fáil was a far better prize then than it is now. So if you were to shout, You can have McSherry, but you can't have Fianna Fáil. Well, you know what, Fianna fall ain't what it used to be.
0: And how this actually works out is largely going to depend on the results of the next election. If McSherry gets back in, a load of the Fianna Fáilers lose their seat. Well, this was a prescient and reasonable move from a politician of talent. And if that doesn't happen, well, then it was a foolish move caused by someone who couldn't handle Michal Martin and not being leader himself.
1: Yeah, the truth will change depending on the outcome.
0: Yes, yes, that's history though.
1: That is history. History, as we know, is written by the losers.
0: So, on the no-confidence vote, Simon Harris got named under doll privilege by one of the Sinn Féiners as the person who leaked the cabinet appointment. Now, there is no evidence for that?
1: No, there isn't. And as a spokesman for Mr. Harris said, this is a clear misuse of doll privilege, and it is untrue. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. 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 Unless it's not. Yes. Well, yes, it seems... Or if it
0: was true, it would actually be perfectly reasonable use of dual privilege.
1: It seems remarkably unlikely that someone of the character and track record of Simon Harris would deliberately leak uh, something from the Cabinet, something which is protected by constitutional uh, regulation and uh, court precedent, which would result... Gary, I mean, I think you have to be aware of the consequences. There was a real risk... And it may even have happened that Simon Coveney may be a fatally damaged politician now who no longer would be regarded as being the next in line to be leader of Fine Gael after Leo Varadkar goes. I mean, there's no way in the world Simon Harris could have wanted that kind of thing, that kind of damage to be done to his friend and to his colleague and his party. I mean, that would be inconceivable, frankly. I mean, I, I, I don't know what kind of weird conspiratorial mind you'd want to have to think that there's some that simon harris could want that i mean god knows i mean it must have been some dirty feet of all or maybe a green nobody's looking at the greens gary what were they doing
0: i think the the interesting thing here is that um simon harris is of course saying it's absolutely untrue when you know, the original namer has said they've no evidence but they're just talking about something that is common knowledge and that there were certainly rumours to that effect, Michael, that this was, in fact, Simon Harris. And, of course, there were things that were published in papers which narrowed it down to one of only a couple of people at the cabinet table, one of whom was Simon Harris.
1: Effectively, that's gossip. You
0: know. I know, that's, that's just hearsay and, and gossip, Michael. It does seem like something that Finnegale could put a fork into pretty easily, though, because that uh, information was leaked during a cabinet meeting. And surely it would be a simple thing, Michael, to, let's say, check the phones of all of the cabinet ministers.
1: Yeah, but considering that uh, criticism was made, say, of Michael Martin as being engaged in a non-democratic totalitarian rule, the optic of demanding that people hand over their phones, you know, their personal telephones with all of the personal information that might be on those so that people could check up on the back of an accusation from a Sinn Féin TD. I don't know. I mean, do you want, do you want to put him to, him into that kind of pressure? I don't know.
0: I think there might be a general argument there, Michael. No, it's only you know, a small argument that if a government minister breaches the terms of the Constitution and commits an arguably criminal act, you should probably actually chase that up as opposed to just saying we're not going to deal with it and then letting other people make political use of it.
1: Well, maybe, I don't know. It feels like you're giving in to Sinn Féin, though. Just, I mean, even, you know, say, f- just because it, it, a possibly criminal act occurred, does that mean that you have to investigate it? I mean, are we, are we going around the country investigating things just because they might have been criminal?
0: I mean, generally, yes, I would say we probably should.
1: Well, yeah, but do we?
0: No, no, no. But it's it's an aspiration, I think.
1: It's, uh, yeah, and there's all this talk about you know, traps being laid and stings. It's uh, it's all very cinematic.
0: It is, and of course Simon is is currently taking legal advice as to whether he can make a, uh, you know, he can make a complaint about this as an abuse of doll privilege.
1: Oh no, that's that actually, that's actually the thing that kind of amused me, was uh, you don't have to investigate whether or not you can make a complaint, Gary, you can make a complaint. Anybody can make a complaint. And I just love to, think, what was the, I can't find it here. Uh, the, uh, he was could he was considering whether or not there was, he should actually move this forward and make a complaint. You know, if things aren't true, and somebody's made a statement about you in the doll in a fashion which is considered it would it seems to me that normally if a, if a if a deputy was going to make this kind of accusation about another member of the house that they would advise the chair that they were going to do that and then I don't know the chair maybe would advise them on the protocols of whether or not he should do this and whether or not there should be evidence he should enter in to into the doll record what out whatever but that it was done in such a way that it doesn't wasn't the the normal process anyway if somebody has made an accusation which is blatant and untrue and impugns your character and is possibly a criminal offence well I don't see what the complicated thing is. you just go ahead and make the complaint to the dog Committee why would you sit around saying well is this really the case that maybe I don't know and did he but no you just make the complaint
0: yeah I have seen some people saying that um, these sort of leaks are not criminal offences which is odd because I can seem to remember Michael Charlie Flanagan when he was the Minister of Justice warning people that leaking from the cabinet was a criminal offence. But I think that was said after leaks that uh, everyone agreed were bad leaks. Bad leaks. And, and these are the sort of leaks that are um, maybe not bad leaks because they're damaging and no one really wants to look into them. By which I mean Fine Gael doesn't really want to look into them. Martin is there.
1: Not for today, but maybe one of these days we actually go back and talk about Charlie Flanagan, who since he's been liberated from the chains of office has started to become something of a a free spirit in making statements that are all over the, the gaff as regards proper and accepted, considering that Charlie would have been considered to be a, one of the, the leaders of the progressive wing of Fianna Fáil. You see him the other day making statements in defense of Catholic education. I have to say, I was quite. Sorry. And that's not. This has been a, a number of these coming from Charlie critiques of the the current administration, and in fact of the handling of all of this. Very. I, I suppose is this, are we still talking? Is this still part of the Sapone scandal, Gary, or is this is a scandal all of its own now?
0: Oh no, this is entirely its own thing at this point. You are, uh, yeah. No, this this has gone badly. This this is going quite badly.
1: <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing because I just did. Did you see the comment that Leo made regarding the investigation of whether or not there had been a leak? Um, this was they were asking. Um, they were talking to uh, Fine Gael TD Colin Brophy was being asked about this uh, whether or not he'd been brief by Leo to say this, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure, but it has the resonance of it. When Brophy was asked if Finnegade leader should launch an investigation into who leaked the information, Brophy said, the job of investigating a leak actually falls to the Taoiseach. So if the Taoiseach wishes to set up a legal investigation, he is fully entitled to do that.
0: Yeah, that's unlikely. But I think that's that's just another good one for Finnegade fall TDs. That not only are they now supporting Simon Coveney, immediately after they published a report saying that they absolutely shouldn't do something like that, now they are the people holding up an investigation into a minister breaching the uh, Constitution. Was it Noonan the last time? I think it was Noonan, Michael Noonan, the last time, said that leaks from Cabinet were firstly a breach of the Constitution, but also illegal under the Official Secrets Act.
1: It was around that time that there was was a discussion debate about it, but that the, the courts had held that it was clear, in fact, that there was, there was no conditionality about the uh, confidentiality of the, of the cabinet, that it was straight and up.
0: I take now that it's useful for the coalition to say that these sort of things are not criminal affairs, but I would quite like an explanation of why they were criminal affairs in 2018s and a grievous breach of the Constitution, and now they're just so trivial we're not even going to look into it.
1: Because, Gary, the words that I often quote, of Bertie Ahern, that was then and this is now. And, you know, keep up. And were the laws passed? Did they amend the Official Secrets Act? See, Gary, you have this notion in your head. It kind of surprises me for someone who's been paying sort of the close attention to Irish politics for a little while that you have been. That this, that Fine Gael is the party of law and order. Now, it may sell itself as the party of law and order. But it, the truth is, as a, a long-standing Fine Gael activist of our acquaintance has often said to me, he said, Fine Gael, the party of lots of order and fuck all law. My, one of my favourite political moments for, if you like, sort of the sense of the differentiating, difficult to differentiate parties, was in a, a debate in the, coming up to the, I think it was the 2011 general election. And the, the, the then Fianna Fáil minister was on the radio and he was up against his Fine Gael counterpart, and the Fianna Fáil counterpart was baiting the desk and shouting, saying, this must be done and that must be done. And whoever, the, remember, this was the election that Fianna Fáil knew that they were going to be absolutely mortified at. So and there was a certain, at times, resignation and a, a low energy that you were getting from their spokespeople in the run-up. And I consider the, the the ministers are sighing, a tired sigh going, now we'd say the other the person opposite was John. I can't remember the the name was As John knows perfectly well, we can't do that. That would be unconstitutional. And the response from his Finegel friend was, Oh, that's typical feat of all. Hiding behind constitutional niceties. Now there, Gary, that's a little window into the soul, I would suggest. Of a certain part or certain tradition of finnegill, lots of order, yes. But when it comes to doing something that you don't, that you want to do, that they won't let you do, it's just constitutional niceties. So don't expect. I mean, the, the deep reverence. Finnegill all have more reverence for the for the for the law because most finnegillers, deep in their genetics, have the belief that they need constitutional niceties and the law to protect them from the day that the cops come and lift them. We don't know why, but it goes back, I think, probably to the civil war and being on the wrong side. Fine Gael don't have that. Fine because they know that they never did anything wrong that the police would ever lift them for. So why would, if you're, innocent, Gary, if you're innocent, Gary, why would you worry? And they are by nature innocent. So if they, why would the law be concerned with them? So the corollary of that is the law can't be concerned for them if this is what, if they did something. It can't be illegal. Because they don't do things which are illegal. Mm. It's all very logical.
0: Yeah. The phrase circular firing squad comes to mind.
1: Yeah, but the thing is, Gary, they're all firing in blanks. Lots of noise, but no one's getting hurt. And in fairness, that couldn't be said for Sinn Féin.
0: That's topical humour.
1: <laughs> topical humour there, you know.
0: It'll be interesting to see where they go with this. This has is, is just been a... a Shitshow of incompetence from pretty much all levels. Harris may make his complaint. No evidence to say that he's wrong. And there can be no evidence because Martin is not going to investigate this. And the journalist he leaked it to is not going to disclose a source.
1: The likelihood of finding evidence when you are putting all of your energy and your best efforts into not ever looking for evidence is fairly small.
0: Yes, so no evidence will be presented either way on this. It does seem quite flagrant, though, because because the broke during the actual cabinet meeting had to come from someone there who had a phone and those would almost certainly be work phones. They would be state owned property. They can be taken. They can be checked. And the fact that no one has even bothered to do so. It's a bit of it's a very laissez faire.
1: Why would you go looking for something when you don't want to know the answer?
0: Because then you get to uh, then you get to sack two Sinn Gale
1: ministers. No, I think that while they will work very hard at not looking for anything, there will always be the lurking fear that some bastard might find the evidence and just throw it into the public. Maybe somebody who also harbors ambitions for higher and better office and thinks, well, in the same way as Simon Coveney has been cut off, away at the knees, somebody else. Might suffer the same ignominious departure from uh, the road to high office. Should this become public, you know, it would be sad, Gary, that that would be the reason that this would, the these these deep dark deeds would come to light. That, but you never know. I mean, sometimes the, the basest of motives lead to the best of results.
0: Hmm. Where are these results?
1: We're hoping for base motives, Gary. So, and I think we have base motives, plenty of them. So there's always. I'm I'm still, still hopeful that somebody else out there might say, "Well, if no one else is going to look, I I I, I know how we can get them."
0: I think that is the standard of Irish political scandal at the moment, where someone does something and you look at it, and you just pray they've some alternative goal here, or they were paid. Or there's corruption of some type. Because otherwise this is just incredibly stupid. Well, sorry, but what's new? I I think actually the scale of it is pretty new. Before there were serious people there. You know, adults who might say, no, we have to do something about this. But I think now people have realised that actually you don't need to do anything about this because, like, let's take this. Cabinet Minister acts in a fashion a Finnegale cabinet minister acts in a fashion which Finnegale cabinet ministers a couple of years ago said was a breach of constitution and was a uh, a breach of the official secrets act which would be quite a severe thing and no one even bothers to investigate it because they don't want to investigate it because they don't want to know i have a feeling if that happened even 10 years ago not having an investigation wouldn't have been an option
1: well you might have had an investigation but again it would have been much I suspect, much like the kinds of investigations that Sir Humphrey would have had in the Westminster, uh, where everybody knew that the purpose of the investigation was to find the findings that had been decided before the investigation had ever begun. Gary, it was my belief that a former leader of Fine Gael and Taoiseach of this country, after the 2011 general election, I'm not naming names, <laughs> It was my belief that he was on a on a number of occasions less than frank with the doll, and I thought that he could have at least, that some of the statements could have at least have borne up fairly severe scrutiny and questioning regarding t- statements that were made to the doll, and I may have been completely off the wall wrong about that, but it seemed to me that there were certainly very obvious questions that could have been nobody asked him questions, nobody asked questions in the doll, nobody asked questions in the press. I think. What will hold a, an administration to account and which will force an administration to behave in a fashion which is more transparent and will demand investigation of this kind of thing is when you have the fear of the press, the fear of the media, that if you don't do it, the media will do it for you and they will fuck you over in a way you can't manage it. And if you do it yourself, at least you have some control over it. But that will only be driven when you actually have a real fear that the press are going to screw you over because you haven't done it. And I don't know if you want if you want to point out something that has fundamentally changed. And I don't I disagree with you, but regarding the lack of a- adults in the room, I, I think that is true. But I think fundamentally what has changed regarding this kind of thing is not the lack of the adults, but the lack of the other adults in the other room that are going to keep them in line. And I think that's the real story. That that there's no, there doesn't appear to be a fear that if we don't do this, the the media will. How many stories have you seen in the press which have been decrying the fact that there was, in fact, a breach of cabinet confidentiality, that this was a breach of constitutionality, and it was almost certainly an offence against the Official Secrets Act? And there must be an investigation. I haven't, re- I have yet to read that story in the press. There must be an investigation. The phones must be taken in. They must be confiscated. The guards have to be called in. There has to be an investigation. I haven't read that story yet.
0: It's a point that's been brought up by journalists during press conferences, but I don't think it's made it into any of the um, written communications or the written pieces.
1: And at this, when, when did this story break? when does the, the Zppone gates the, the leak that st- all started all of this? When did that leak? I mean it's quite some time ago now and the, surely by now if they were going to write that story that story would have been written. and not just by and I'm not saying just by one person. It can't always just be Eish O'Hanlon or David Quinn or John Downey or Alyssa Nolan. It has to, there has to be more than one person.
0: That should have happened. But for all I complain about politicians in the cabinet just not being terribly serious, most journalists aren't either. They look at this and they'll see all of the the shininess of the cronyism stuff and whether or not it was that or exactly what happened. And that's fun and that gives you something to write about. And most of them are not even going to consider the constitutional argument. Also, the other problem there is you have to get that through an editor. And it can be true, but it can also be problematic to print because it damages your relationships with uh, the government and with ministers in the yeah, government. I, I, now, the fact that it, it absolutely happened, and unless Fine Gael ministers have previously lied about the consequences of doing such a thing, it would appear to be clearly illegal and a breach of the Constitution, and that should be a serious matter. It's not an attractive, interesting, shiny matter. So it just doesn't get mentioned. I, I,
1: I'm sorry I don't I don't agree with that because um, I headline cabinet minister in criminal investigation cabinet minister breaks law cabinet minister charged with criminal act I think that's a big shiny story and yes there are stories that are going to put pressure on your relationship with the government but that's their job I mean that is literally their job and they and it and governments, as by the way, are transitory things. They're like parish priests and parishes. They're birds of parish. They come and they go. And if you take somebody, if by your act, you take somebody out, you destroy the career of an up-and-coming politician. Gary, I tell you, you've done one thing. You've made an enemy of him, but you've made a friend of other people because the other people are going to be perfectly happy with that. It has to be. You, 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 can't, have, you can't have a functioning democracy. Without press
0: Michael, I would make a I would make a different point slightly then it is in the interest of the media not to make that part of it a story because the story there is that if someone did that well then a member of the media facilitated that they allowed that to happen and they published that material there for thereby promoting it happening again and do you really want to start does, does the media really want to start talking about the fact that Leaking information to the media in certain circumstances can be a criminal offence. I don't really think there's a lot of incentive on the media to do that.
1: I think that there's a qualitative difference. I mean, I'm not saying leaking is something that happens. And in a sense, government, modern governance would find it very hard to work without leaking of some kind. But this is, I think, a substantially qualitatively different kind of thing. And as regards being the guy that did it, that broke the story, that brought the spotlight on this, well, you know, that's the guy that gets, this, he gets the big name, he gets the big story. There were a couple of guys, the people called Woodwards and Bernstein that broke a story sometime in the early 70s in American politics. They made a film out of it, Gary. There are people still talking about it. They still they went on for for 50 years living off the back of it. Now, it was a big story and, you know, taking down the president of the United States might be even bigger than taking down a cabinet minister in Ireland. But still, if you have the chance, you have to do it. If you've got the guy, if you're a journalist, you're a political journalist and you've suddenly there and you've got your, you've got your, your rifle up and suddenly big, juicy head of a cabinet minister comes right into the middle of your crosshairs. You have to pull the trigger or else you're, why else are you there.
0: Gript has published a piece on that. I know because I have written it and I have said that whoever is responsible should be sacked and then criminally prosecuted and it was was all of these things, clearly. But that can be ignored. Something like this to actually have an impact needs to come from the likes of the Irish Times. Yes. Because otherwise they'll just ignore it and they'll get through it. They don't seem to have any particular interest in that for whatever reason and so they don't and so it doesn't happen but it should happen and there should be an accounting for it, but there won't be. And that, I think, is the uh, is the general truth of media in Ireland.
1: And there lies the epitaph of Irish democracy. But anyway, you know, things could be worse.
0: I'm actually quite interested in why the Irish Times hasn't gone to some law professor in Trinity and just said, yep, yeah, absolutely a breach of the Constitution and maybe a criminal offence under this, and asked the government why they're not investigating because the government would respond, the government would respond to something from RTÉ or the Irish Times on that basis.
1: That in the bit itself would be, an, I think, an interesting enough story for its political readers. You go and you get the, the professor of constitutional law somewhere and you ask them, or a professor of criminal law, and you ask, "Is this a crime?" And they go, "Oh yeah, yeah that, that's that's a crime within these." Blah. And they write your story and they ask the government for comment, and oh, you go, but it has not happened, and maybe it will happen. Before Sunday, and if it happens before Sunday, we'll probably talk about it on Sunday. But uh, otherwise, we should talk about different things.
0: Yes, there was a good study in Australia actually on um, long COVID in children, and it was making it was looking at the um, how hard it is to differentiate the actual symptoms attached to long COVID from the symptoms of um, of lockdowns and and general pandemic life. So that's that's quite an interesting study. We'll go through that, um, but we will talk then. All the best. Bye-bye.